This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. This episode is brought to you by Lazy Does It Clothing. Lazy Does It is a custom clothing line that targets the edgy mom and dad. Their motto is, if you're thinking it, they're absolutely printing it. They like to add a little twist on what you would typically see on children's or parents' t-shirts. For example, instead of daddy's little bud... They have stuntin' like my daddy. They offer one-of-a-kind hand tie-dyed clothing and solid colors, starting at size newborn and going up to mom and dad sizes. You can check them out on Instagram at L-E-E-Z-Y-D-O-E-S underscore I-T. If there's a special saying that you say all the time that you want to see on one of their t-shirts, just tell them and they'll print it for you. Listeners of the Mom Room podcast can get 20% off now with the code the Mom Room. Milo has one of their tie-dyed toddler t-shirts and he wears it all the time, mostly because I pick out his clothes and I love it. Please check out the episode notes for more details. Today I'm talking with Nikki Bergen, who is a master Pilates trainer and one of the most sought-after health and fitness experts in Canada. She is the creator of the Bell Method and the Bump Method, which are programs inspired by Pilates and informed by science, and they were created to help women feel strong and confident. Uh, So to start, I was going to have you just tell us a little bit about yourself and why you started the Bell Method and the Bump Method and what those are. Amazing. I'm happy to be here. First of all, thank you for having me, Renee. I am so like, I'm such a fangirl, listen to your podcast all the time. And I'm like, I want to be on her podcast. And then I actually like messaged you on Instagram and you were like, let's make it happen. I was like, I love this girl. I feel so lucky. So I am just excited to be um, to be here having this conversation with you. Um, I'm basically a dancer who got a knee injury, who discovered Pilates in her mid twenties, who started, you know, teaching Pilates out of a physiotherapy clinic. And I realized that, you know, eventually people's physio would run out and they'd be like, I want to do group classes cause it's cheaper. And then in my group classes, I would have yeah. like someone with a herniated disc, someone with who just had a baby, somebody who had scoliosis and like a metal rod in their spine. Like it was a gong show. I was like, I need to come up with some type of, you know, exercise program or class that's accessible for people. That's going to give them the results that they want, but you know, very mindful of special injuries. Oh, see, I told you as soon as we were starting this podcast, my little boy who's like on the boob all the time, three month old (laughs) is going to start to talk. Oh, see, there's the burp. Did you hear that? (laughs) Do not edit this out. Okay, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. It's amazing. <laughs> this is great. This is his first podcast, so welcome. <laughs> Thank you. This is His name is Hendrik. He's three months old. He's a meatball. We call him meatball. He likes Aww. to eat. That's his favorite thing. Eat and poop. Okay, back to Pilates and pelvic health. So essentially, I had to create a method of, of Pilates training that would be accessible for people. Um, and then I started you know, continued with that and realized that pregnant women and postpartum women needed something even more specific to their needs because they were coming to see me years after and being like, oh, I I pee my pants. I can't do that. I can't do that. And I was like, this, this seems like, you know, there's something to this. I don't think everyone should be peeing their pants. Yeah. Um, And so that's kind of the very short Reader's Digest version of how it happened. Um, And now I, because of COVID, I'm teaching a lot virtually. I was teaching, you know, we have a team, we were teaching 12 group classes in different locations across the city of Toronto, but we've taken that all online. And now basically have three classes that we do. We do a, like a regular class. I'd like to call it like a really intense Pilates core fusion class. Um, And then we have a prenatal class where we help women understand how to prevent and reduce prolapse, diastasis recti, incontinence, uh, and really prepare for birth and pushing. And we teach them how to reduce their fear of birth, all that. And then postpartum, we have a class meant to help women like really reconnect to their core and heal any diastasis, aka abdominal separation, 
uh, reduce prolapse, reduce incontinence. So it's really pelvic health focused Pilates is what I do. And so with Pilates, because when I hear Pilates, first of all, I've always wanted to try Pilates, but I, I haven't. But I think about, you know, the Pilates studios that have the big wooden beds. Mm-hmm. Reformers. Uh, <laughs> if if someone were to sign up to your online classes, do they need equipment or is it just like a yoga mat and it's body weight stuff? Yeah, it's small props. I have owned reformers. I have used reformers. Um, but no, people don't usually have like a $5,000 reformer in their house. So all you need is, is a... Um, uh, like a small ball or or pillow, like a size of a, like an inflatable. You can even use ones from the dollar store or get this, all this stuff on Amazon, like two to three pound weights, a towel and like a booty band that you see all over Instagram. Those tiny little, they're really awesome for your butt. So those are literally the only things you need. And all of those things you can get like on Amazon Prime in a day and they're not expensive. I know you have obviously a little three month old and you have another child as well, right? Yep. She's two. She's two. So she's like Milo's age pretty much. Oh yeah. I'm in the toddler zone with you, my friend. (laughs) Nice. When we were talking before about what we were going to talk on this podcast, you had mentioned that you went through IVF and that you experienced a miscarriage. So I thought we could talk first a little bit about the IVF journey. My sister is going through IVF right now and she actually just had her egg retrieval today. Oh wow. This is timely. Yeah. Yes. So I was like, this is great because, you know, I've been talking with my sister about her experience and thinking a lot about IVF stuff. And so I was like, this is the perfect time to have this conversation. So what was your experience? I know for us, we had trouble conceiving as well for a while. And we went through all the testing. uh, Everything came back normal. And so they we were living in Sudbury at the time and there's no fertility clinics in Sudbury. So yeah, it's crazy. So we were going to have to come to Toronto to see a specialist here. And the day we got our appointment to come to Toronto to see someone here, we found out that we were pregnant. So it was kind of like a, a crazy situation. Unfortunately for my sister, it wasn't the case. Um, so yeah, she lives in North Bay and she's been traveling constantly to Toronto to do all her appointments and everything. Yeah. So yeah, that's what she's going through right now. And I just thought you could tell us a little bit about your story with IVF. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So first of all, anyone, I feel like there might be people listening to this who are going through fertility, trying to conceive or who have like you who have friends or family members who are are trying to go through it. I feel like it's important at some point in this podcast to share like what not to say to somebody going through it because yeah. there was a lot of unsolicited, well-meaning but very, you know, unhelpful, <laughs> unsolicited comments and advice. Um and and it it's really like this whole world. It becomes like a second job. It becomes your life and it's very all-consuming. Um, and yeah. so I, you know, I guess we were, I was 34 when we started trying and my husband was 36. So like reasonable, like not, you know, like not a crazy late time to start trying in my opinion anyways. Um, and so it wasn't happening and we ended up, and this is just me. Cause I was like, you know what? I'm just, I just want to get some testing done. I had heard of a lot of people having trouble. My husband had actually been in a, um, accident when he was younger, um, and had blunt trauma, um, to his testicles through a mountain biking accident. And I was kind of like, I always wondered if that would have had an impact. And so it was in the back of my head, like we need to get tested. Right. Um, and so after six months, I got a referral to a, a clinic um, and they typically don't want to do it until it's been a year, but um, we luckily were able to get in at six months and they did testing and they sure enough found that we had pretty much no sperm. And so they were like, you need to go straight to, you can try IUI. We'll try that first, which is a lot less invasive, a lot less expensive. Um, but, you know, you may need to go to IVF. And so I went through you know, the first, all the testing, the cycle monitoring, and then um, ended up doing our first IUI and sure enough conceived. And we were like, oh my God, it's, it's like, that's all we needed. We just needed a little extra help and the sperm had to get closer or whatever. 
Um, sorry for the noises. <laughs> um, but um, that I ended up uh, miscarrying. And so that was my very first, you know, and we were like, oh, IUI, you know, it'll be great. And then, you know, the first thing they tell you is, well, at least you can get pregnant, you know, and that's, you know, that's like the consolation. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals, so you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding, and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. So when you mentioned that you guys did the testing and then you had no sperm, what what do you mean? So like the sperm was in the testicles but not coming out? Um, no, it was coming out. It was just all of the parameters were not great in the sense that motility morphology so it was there there a there wasn't a lot b they weren't swimming well c they were shaped weird okay (laughs) so like all of those parameters were abnormal okay um they were like we can get a couple good ones but not many (laughs) so right so just to kind of explain just in case people don't Mm -hmm. realize so if if that's the case, then when you're just having regular intercourse, it makes it harder for the sperm to kind of go through the yes. the cervix and the fallopian tubes and all that yeah. stuff. So IUI is, because at first I was like, what is IUI? So it's, it's literally, they take the sperm and they can wash the sperm so that the healthy, yep. like strong sperm are the only ones that they're using. And then all they do is they put the sperm 
through the cervix right into the uterus, right? That, that's right. It's like we call it the turkey baster. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's what they do. They they and they sometimes do it medicated for women, and sometimes they don't. Um, so if you have someone who has say PCOS who doesn't ovulate, they will put the woman often on meds to get her to ovulate. Mm. And then they can perfectly time with blood tests exactly when that happens. And then they will do the, um, they will do the IUI at the right time. Right. Um, and you can also have natural cycle IUIs, which is what we did. They just monitored and they were like, she's going to ovulate on her own. I did. And then they just timed it knowing with when you get that, it's called your luteinizing hormone, your LH surge. Okay. That's basically a sign that like, they're like, oh, she's going to like drop an egg in the next like, you know, 12 to 24 hours. We're going to go ahead and do book it now. So, okay. Yeah. So you guys did that and then it was successful. And for how long? So I'm assuming after you do the IUI, then you, it would be like um, a typical cycle. You would wait two weeks to find out if you're pregnant. And so that came back positive. And then when did you experience the miscarriage? I hate calling it a miscarriage because I know, <laughs> you know, it diminishes what that actually is and what what's happening. But when for the sake of the podcast, we'll call it that. Yeah. Um, so when did you experience that? It was fairly early. I was I was fortunate, very fortunate in that sense. Um, I would say it was probably closer to like six weeks. Okay. Um, so it was just it ended up being like a really heavy period for about you know, 10 to 12 days afterwards. Um, and, you know, lots of cramping, whatnot, but it wasn't, didn't require a, a DNC. Um, so I didn't have to go and go under general and have anything scraped down in my uterus or anything like that. That's what a DNC is. Um, dilation and curatage, I believe. Um, so that's common with later. I think usually they'll start potentially recommending it at around if you miscarry later at or later than eight weeks. Okay. But it varies by person. So, I was able to just have what they would call more of like, I guess, a natural, spontaneous um, miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was hard because all of a sudden you're like, you know, I'm pregnant. Yay. This was so much easier than we thought it would be. And then all of a sudden, at least you could get pregnant. We better try it again. Um, and, and also like, oh, your uterus is smart. It knows that it was bad sperm. <laughs> Literally, we told, I was told that. Making it like a positive, a yeah. positive thing. Yeah. But I think, to be honest, the hardest, one of the hardest parts, and, and just I'll share a story with you. So I hadn't been super open with my family about what we had been going through. And I guess this all happened at just close to Christmas time. So I think I had done the IUI. It was maybe in October, November. I can't remember exactly. But then found out we had had this miscarriage um, right before Christmas. And so we had gone over to, we were planning going to my dad's, my parents are se separated. So we went, we were going to my dad's for Christmas day. I called him before and had said, listen, dad, like, I want to share something with you. I wanted to let him know what had happened because he had been making these comments at the dinner table, like, you know, you need to eat like so like old school, like you need to eat more meat if you want to have a baby and you're getting older, like all these like, uh, oh, yeah, like old school um, <laughs> misguided, but yeah. like in publicly, like in front of my brothers, in front of everybody. And so I was like, hopefully thinking to myself, if I tell him what's going on, he'll just know like not to have those horrible comments come out. And anyways, it backfired. <laughs> so I, I told him that Chris at Christmas dinner, I remember sitting there and all of a sudden him again being like, because I'm in fitness. And he's, you know, he's like, you have a responsibility to take you to your responsibility to make sure that you don't do anything like such blame all on me, basically insinuating, saying that I work out too much and I don't eat enough meat. And therefore, you know, it was my fault that we had lost this baby. And I was just in that moment, I was like, this is such bullshit that the woman is always blamed. Meanwhile, we had crazy, we knew what the issue was. It had nothing to do with the fact mm. that I teach Pilates classes and that I'm exercising. And yet, oh, we would never once in a million years think that 
you know, it could have anything to do with chromosomal abnormalities in the sperm. Like, no, we're all going to blame the woman, like the barren woman, you know, like just this, it, it still makes me so mad because this is the dialogue that happens so often around the world. Yeah. And what drives me insane, and this is with regard to absolutely everything when you're, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get pregnant, when you're a mom, a new mom, an older mom, whatever, you cannot win no matter what you do. Yeah. If you didn't work out, Nikki, yeah. it would still be your fault <laughs> because you're not working out. Like, yeah, you know, sure. it's it's insane. Uh, I that's yeah, that's a difficult uh, thing to go through for sure. Yeah, it, it just and it made me I have to be honest, like that experience. I was like, OK, like I know he's like an older dude, late 60s, like old school, whatever. But like he's not the only one that thinks this way. Yeah. And it made me want to shout it from the rooftops to be like, you know what? Like we need to stop blaming women for infertility. In fact, more than 50 percent of the time. It's the man. And it's not about blaming anybody. It's just the fact that like it takes two. Like why is it always all the unsolicited advice that I got was always directed towards me. Like, oh, do you need to make sure that you do this thing for acupuncture? And are you taking enough of this vitamin? And oh, like well-meaning. But I was like, guys, I don't have a fucking problem. Like it's not, you know what I mean? Like why is this all directed to me? I'm good. I'm good, guys. And it's the same with breastfeeding. Like, I know, you know, God forbid someone has problems breastfeeding. Well, everyone and their dog has an opinion about what they should be doing. Like, well, you're not eating enough dairy. You're not eating enough meat. You're not like this. And it's like, oh, my gosh. So frustrating. So after that experience, Mm -hmm. were you guys struggle? Like, did you struggle with the decision to try again right away? Or is it something that you just started to do right away? Yeah, no, I I was like, for me, I was kind of like, all right, now I'm like, I'm getting older. Like I just, when I, for me, I was just like, let's tackle this. And so we did it right away again. Nothing worked. We did it a third time. And for those of you who don't know, every time it's like every morning I would, you know, go in with rush hour. We live in like just like 10 minutes outside the city. So I'd be taking the subway in rush hour at 7 a.m., pitch black, blood work, like internal vaginal ultrasounds, and then going to work. And then it would be like every single morning, like your your veins are like black and blue by the end of it. And I was like, after the, it was the fourth time because we did cycle monitoring. And then three of these, I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Like, let's just do IVF because the probability of success with IUI is like, I think 20%, whereas with IVF, they gave us a 60% chance. And I was like, I would rather do something. Yes, it was more money, but I I just wanted to increase our chances of success. I was like, I'm done with like 20%. Yeah. So, and that's, and that's kind of um, what happened. So at that point, I'm glad to be honest that we did that because I'm now knowing how it went with IVF, like IUI would never have worked for us. Right. Something that my sister brought up to me the other day that I had never, and I I overthink everything. I think a lot. So this had never come across my mind before. And she was talking to me about how going through IVF, it's a struggle if you keep it a secret from people because now you're going through this insane like emotional process with no support other than your partner or if you tell everybody and you know you have their support throughout the whole process it takes away your ability to be able to surprise people with a pregnancy that was one of my greatest moments mm-hmm. that I'll always remember is surprising my parents telling them that we were that we were pregnant I'd never thought of that before, that IVF completely takes that away. Did you feel that at all? You know what? I don't know. I didn't really, I didn't think that way, to be honest. I was more just like, I thought that being, being, getting that positive test, I get, I know totally what your sister's saying, but I was more just like, I just want the positive, like just, I want to be on a stick and be able to have that moment. Right. Um, but yeah. I see that for sure. I mean, it is it is a bit tough when when people are like, any news, any news? You're like, no, I'll let you know. If somebody was going through, they were thinking about going through IVF right now, what would be your biggest piece of advice to them? Um, well, I, 
first of all, it's okay to be really annoyed at everybody around you. It's normal. And like, I had to full on, like, just not go to a couple baby showers. Like, it's okay. Do you know what I mean? You're not a bad friend. If you just need to like, give yourself that space, because it can be really hard, especially if all the people around you are pregnant. And at the time, I'll let you know, I was still teaching prenatal Pilates while going through IVF. And I would sometimes hear these these moments where people were complaining, oh, I didn't sleep or my back hurts. And I'd be like, just, oh, at least you're pregnant, you know, and it was hard. It was hard to be around that. But it it also, I have to say, it helped when I started to open up about it. And one day I finally said to my class, you know, through, I was started crying. I was like, guys, I just want to let you know that I'm going through fertility. Um, and I'm really hoping to join you in this pregnancy journey soon. And I swear in that moment, Renee, it was like a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. And all of these women came forwards. And then I think we we're about probably 15 people in the class, probably at least six of them came forwards, gave me a hug and were like, I've had three miscarriages or I went through IVF. Like, oh, exactly. Thinking like assuming that they had all had the easiest time, yeah. you know, and that was my mistake. And I now realized the more we talk about it, the more we, I realized that we all realized that so many people have a story. Yeah. Um, you know, and we don't need to feel alone. And I think that's probably my number one piece of advice would be to try to find your community. And I find that I started a private Instagram account um, and I just started following the hashtag TTC sisters, which means trying to conceive or hashtag TTC, hashtag IVF. And I grew probably, I get, I got about 300 people. I started really interacting with who were all going through IVF at the same time. And we all followed each other. We all DM'd each other. It was like the best virtual support group you could imagine. And so that was my lifeline. And these were all strangers I'd never met, but you know, we just, we became Instagram friends and it was important to be able to talk to other people who really got it. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair's too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. And sometimes that's, sometimes, you know, there's a benefit to having people online that you're close with that aren't necessarily a part of your other other parts of your life. Yeah. You know, you get a certain kind of support from your partner going through all of this, but it's important to have other people that aren't, you know, with you 24/7 and that are going through it as well. Cuz it's a different kind of support when they're going through it as well and you understand each other better and you can talk about things that might be uncomfortable to talk, you know, to other people about. It reminds me, so 
how you said when you verbalized it out loud and it was like a weight coming off your shoulders, that's exactly, it made me think of me with anxiety. Like I've always, I've struggled with anxiety for so long and that's exactly how it feels when you just tell someone. It could be my supervisor, my PhD supervisor. Like I've cried in his office telling him about my anxiety and just that meeting with him and like sharing that with him and knowing now that he knows and it's not something that I have to try and like live through by myself kind of. It is. It's like a huge weight lifted off your shoulder and you almost feel like, okay, there you go. Like now I can do this. He knows. It's fine. <laughs> no, it's true. You need to be able to like get that. I think talking about it, it, it does. It takes that complete burden away and especially if you feel like validated and understood um, I think that's so important. I think a lot of women going through it feel alone. There is still this insidious shame that exists that shouldn't exist. Um, but I have to say that it does. And I think partly that's because society blames the woman, right? Like there is yeah. a lot of like patriarchy as it relates to, you know, the fertility conversation. Yeah. Fertility, birthing process, like everything is just, oh my gosh, things are going to start to change though, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. One thing I wanted to ask you was, what do you think are three things that women wouldn't necessarily expect going through IVF? Like, what are some things that you think people don't realize? God, there's a lot of things. <laughs> um, there's a lot of things. But just the 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 time and the the mental load is huge. So I think it, the realization that it just and, – and it's it's one weight after another. That's what I mean by mental load. Yeah. So, it's like you, you're waiting to find out, you know, everything from like, you know, how, what's my AMH level? What's my FSH level? What are all of my levels? How many eggs, how many follicles are there? It's just one test and then you wait for that test result and then another test. And then when you are, so for instance, with IVF, essentially how it works is you get a bunch of drugs and then those drugs make you ovulate a ton of eggs so that then they can all be surgically removed. And so when they're all removed, you're like, first, it's like, well, how many eggs do I have? And then I always joke with my friends, it's like the Hunger Games, mm -hmm. because then it's like, it's like the lab calls you and they're like, well, we took, you know, 10 eggs out, but now only seven are alive. And then they're like, we'll call you back in two days. And then they're like, oh, now you have five left. Like they just die off. You know, it's just like the most important. You're waiting for those phone calls, oh. you know, and I would just, I would you'd see that phone call come up. And sometimes I was like, I just want to let it go to voicemail. Like I can't, I don't want to have to get this news from a live person. To put it into perspective, like, I mean, for most people, this is after, you know, it could be years of trying yeah. naturally and, you know, trying, waiting two weeks, taking a pregnancy test, tr mm -hmm. waiting to ovulate again, trying, like the mental load is insane and then you do all the fertility testing which takes a few months and then you do maybe a couple rounds of IUI which you know all those testings and you know pregnancy tests and then you start the IVF and it's mm -hmm. like non-stop my sister is in that situation like you were describing um like she got her eggs removed today and then same thing now she's waiting for all these you know counts of how many eggs were healthy how many eggs got fertilized how many passed like the genetic testing like all this stuff um before they do the transfer yeah and then, and then in the transfer it's like you're like okay amazing like a mat so we had we had 16 eggs removed I was 35 at the time and we ended up five of them made it to what they call day five so basically five of those grew big enough to freeze and then we sent five away for genetic testing and only two were chromosomally normal. Wow. And so like, that's not very, like we were very lucky that we had that, but you know, it's like, okay, so now we have two, we have two good eggs and I was so lucky and now have two healthy children. <laughs> but that is, you know, a lot of the times, like they had said to me, if you want to have two kids, we need you to have four eggs. And I was like, well, I literally have all my eggs in one basket because I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Um, so let's really hope. Um, but then you do your transfer and then it's waiting for the transfer. And then it's like you're pregnant. And then you're like, okay, now we have to make it to 12 weeks. Yeah. And then, you know, and now we have to make it to 20 weeks for the anatomy scan. Like it's the waiting 
until that kid is born for me it felt like you know the waiting never ended yeah especially after experiencing a miscarriage you're you're on eggshells you know and so you get these results and you want to be happy but then you also don't want to be too happy because you don't want to be let down and have these like high expectations and it's just like a whole mind fuck like and it's totally. it's sad because you know you just wish that everyone could have a positive experience the first time they try and be super excited and everything goes well but that's not how it works like I was thinking the other day I I know so many people who have gone through IVF and it just it blows my mind because it's it's such a process it's a lot it's a lot I shot myself up in some dingy bathrooms it's got to be like the same time every day and if you're like oh my god I got like literally times when I like was stuck in Toronto traffic and I'm like, I got to do it at five. I have to pull over and go to a public bathroom or do it in my car. Yeah. And you have to put stuff. Sometimes it has to be in the fridge. I mean, you know, you helped your sister with it, right? So it's just... Did you give yourself your injections or did your partner do it? I did it myself. I did not trust him. I was like, you're going to screw it up. It's like a hundred bucks and whatever it is. Like each little drop is so expensive. It's like thousands of dollars on drugs. I'm like, you can't afford to mess this up. <laughs> I'm doing it. You're like, don't touch the drugs. <laughs> Pretty much. But that's me, right? Like, I understand there's a lot of people who, you know, especially if you're doing like, there's one particular one that's really hard to do on yourself. It's the progesterone oil. It's an intramuscular injection. Um, and I didn't have to do that. Whereas if I had, I probably would have needed to get some help. Um, but mine were all subcutaneous. So it's, okay. it's not, the needle's not going in that far. So it's easier to do. One thing that people also probably don't realize is the cost. I think, you know, we're in Canada for people that are listening. And in Ontario specifically, I think the government will pay for one round of IVF. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a little bit misleading because you still have to pay for your medications. Yep. Yep. Right. Which are thousands, like I think four or five thousand dollars. Depends. Yeah, but it can be. Yeah. And then you have to pay for your eggs to be frozen and like stored at a facility. You have to pay for what is it? Um, PGS testing, the genetic testing you have to pay. for. Yes. It. All the testing. So it's really it's still very, very costly. And God forbid it doesn't work the first time you do it, which is probably fairly common, then you're paying out of pocket if you want to try again, which like, where do people get this money? People I know have, have spent like six figures. I know people who've literally spent mortgage their homes done, you know, and people have often said, and this is also one of the really horrible things. It's like, well, why don't you just adopt as much as it's meant to be like a well-meaning thing? Like I have a friend who is trying for, you know, IVF and it didn't work out. She had two eggs, neither of the transfers took and they weren't able, she's older, she's 38. So meaning that she can't really, doesn't really want to wait to get a funded spot because you don't get one right away. They might be like, oh, we'll have a funded spot for you in a year from now. She might be 40 a year from now. It's like, you know, I don't want to wait because my every, literally every six months goes by, your chances get further and further decreased of having a successful IVF. Right. And your risk of other things happening. Exactly. Yeah. So you're like, do I just pay, you know, out of pocket and hope that, you know, it's the right decision. So anyways, they ended up paying out of pocket. It didn't work out. And then now they're like, okay, we want to try to adopt. And she said to me, this is, I didn't make this up, that there are 71 babies available and they are up against 1400 other families doesn't that make you wonder yeah and so it's not everyone's just like well why would you like just adopt it's not that easy and it's often more expensive than IVF yeah so you know it's not an option for everybody adoption you know what that's a great episode topic this is how I find my topics they just like they just you know they hit me in the face <laughs> yes to speak to someone who is, you know, knows how to navigate the adoption system and how that works, like that would be fascinating because I think, like you said, people just kind of nonchalantly say like, oh, you can adopt. And it's like, well, can I? Because how easy is that? And what's the process? 
I'll jump back to the miscarriage just for a second. I'm just curious if when that happened, what your, ex- like, I know you said you went to the doctor and they were like, well, it's good that you, you know, you can get pregnant and your uterus is smart and like, okay, yay. Um, did, like, were there, was there anything put in place with regard to uh, like emotional or like mental support or was it just kind of, okay, go home? No, there was nothing. And I think it's, they were actually, I was actually come to think of it, I don't think I've ever really said this out loud or really reflected on it, but you're absolutely right. It was very much like almost a congratulations, you can get pregnant instead of we are so sorry. It was never framed as a loss. Interesting, right? You know, they're like, and, and I was, again, very fortunate. I've spoken to so many women who've had multiple miscarriages, multiple later stage miscarriages, even you know, stillbirth, like, like infant loss, like, am I, I'm actually getting shivers as I talk about this. So by and large, ours was, you know, much less severe. Um, But again, it shouldn't be really about qualifying it, right? It was, it, it was a loss, nonetheless, and it doesn't make it any less upsetting or traumatic. So it was just, it was never framed that way, though. I think at the fertility clinic, they see it so often, they're just like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't, you know, you can get pregnant, time to, to hop on, you know, try again. Yeah. Um. So it's, it's tough. I think we do need a lot more, a lot more support for women and couples going through this. It can be so all consuming, and there can be so much shame and blame put on women by themselves because they're not, they don't necessarily know that, oh, that cup of coffee didn't just make you have a miscarriage. Do you know what I mean? But that's something that they sometimes will think, or, oh, I was, you know, I shouldn't have gone for that run. Like I get these messages, Renee, all the time. Like, oh, you know, what, what did I do wrong? And I want to shout out like you did nothing wrong. And it's hard. It's difficult to navigate because, you know, you're devastated by having a miscarriage, but then you also still want to continue trying because you want to have a child. But it's like, how do you navigate that emotional loss and then moving forward and trying again and, you know, being positive and getting a positive again and being happy? And like, it's a difficult thing to to process. Yeah, it robs you a lot of the joy. Yeah. Like it's supposed to be this like, yeah, let's have a baby. I'm protected sex. It's a beautiful thing. No, it, it's not it's not fun. It's stressful. And and it also, sex can become a bit like a chore as well. Like, you know, you're tracking everything. I mean, you, you know, you, you, yeah. you were trying, you know, you're just like, I'm going to go pee on the stick. I'm going to, you know, try to find out when I'm ovulating. I'm going to try to do this, that, and the other thing. Um, you know, and it's not like this exciting thing. It's like, oh crap, I've got to, we've got to have sex tonight. Let's do it. It's like, you know, it's like in your schedule. So true. Um, okay. So to end, I was wondering if you wanted to, so if someone was curious about the bell method and like to sign up, where would they find you? Um, what would they do? <laughs> well, I would first know that I have a baby on me at all times, hence the noises in the background right now. Um, but you can find me, um, at thebellmethod.com. So it's spelled B-E-L-L-E. Also, I have a question. Where did the bell, where does that name come from? Yeah. So it, it came from like Belle, beautiful. I am also half French. Um, and so, so it's like la belle method, the the beautiful method. (laughs) Did you like my Quebec accent there? Um, I totally did. All the American listeners are going to be like, what? (laughs) Qu'est-ce qui se passe là? (laughs) Basically, basically, um, and I'm assuming based on your name, you might be French from Northern Ontario. Mais oui, mais oui. Mais oui. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I figured. Um, But uh, yeah, so you can find it out um, at thebellmethod.com. You can go to my Instagram at thebellmethod. Um, and that's going to find, you're going to find everything you need to know in those two places. And lastly, if you could give moms three recommendations of, you know, any kind of resource, a podcast, a book, a movie, an Instagram account, what would it be? Three resources. I mean, I, I have to say, I think that my Instagram account's a bit of a resource as it relates to pelvic health. <laughs> um not to plug that but no it is I did um I did an episode with a chiropractor a couple weeks ago and you were one of her resources 
Oh, really? Oh, well, that's amazing. What's her name? Yeah. Um, Dr. Aaliyah Visserum. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I know her. From Wellbeing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. So, okay, that's one. I have to say, um, you can go to find again back to my sort of what I do if you're if you're listening to this and even though this was the fertility podcast you know maybe you're interested in finding a pelvic floor physio I always send people to something called pelvichealthsolutions.ca and that's where you can find a pelvic health physiotherapist um, based on your city in Canada um, and I can also send you the one for the U.S. as well. It's just an easy way to like search for zip code, like zip code or postal code. Oh, nice. So that's a really thing. And, and also sometimes women don't realize that pelvic physio can actually help even if you're trying to conceive. So you, if you have any type of stagnation, so your pelvic floor, one of the roles of your pelvic floor is kind of like a sump pump. So it gets blood flow going, lymphatic fluid going. And if you have any stagnation of that in your pelvic floor, then that can impede conception. So it might be something to explore, um, even if you haven't had babies yet, you're trying to have babies. Right. Um, and then the other the other resource that I can give you would be, um, I think, for for fertility. I think honestly, and this isn't like a specific thing. I found my biggest resource was going and searching like hashtag TTC hashtag and like really connecting with other women who are going through it. And that's just something that people have to do on their own. But I have to say, like, it really was my sanity. And so, I mean, if people are curious or, or want more, um, my private fertility account, I will share it here. I'm not really active on it anymore, um, but I will go and, and answer questions there in DMs. It's at Bell Fertility, B-E-L-L-E Fertility. And that's a place where, you know, I could certainly connect anyone who's you know, going through this and is like, I don't even know where to start meeting people going through this. Um, that would be an easy place to kind of get them connected to women who really understand what they're going through. That's awesome. And lastly, I just thought of this. Would you like to tell us about your podcast that's coming out? Oh, <laughs> amazing. I love it. You're amazing. Okay. So it's literally not even a podcast yet, but we're working on it. It's going to happen. It's going to launch probably in October. Um, it's called We Go There, and it's a place where there's no such thing as TMI, because <laughs> that's Love my it. jam. We like to talk, you know, there's no, so it's pretty much a lot of the stuff that you might be too embarrassed to ask your health provider about. We talk about it. Like, let's talk about hemorrhoids, and let's talk about queefing, and let's talk about what's normal. Let's talk about hormones and libido and why you don't want to have sex when you're breastfeeding. Let's talk about like, you know, yeah. all of those things. And so I'm doing it with a friend of mine named Lexi. Um, she owns a business here in Toronto called Wax On, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. So she is a wax bar, and so it started because all of the estheticians get like all these really questions that a lot of the clients are like, I'm too embarrassed, but like, is it, is my vagina normal? Like, is that normal? You know? And so that's where it came from. And then of course I get the questions on pelvic floor. Like I feel something down there. Like, is that normal? I'm like, God, we talk about vaginas all day long. Like we should do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, it's such a good idea. That's a great topic. <laughs> it's definitely going to be popular because like, I mean, these topics are great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there needs to be less, you know, a lot of, so many women feel shame about what's going on. And, and I'm like, God, if you feel shame, you're not going to ask for help and you're not going to talk about it. And then you're going to suffer in silence and it's going to, yep. you know, like that doesn't need to happen. I just, I recorded an episode with a pelvic floor physio a couple weeks ago or like a week ago. And the, literally the entire episode, we talked about postpartum pooping and sex. Nice. <laughs> we mostly talked about poop for like 45 minutes. I was like, this is the best. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a huge, huge issue. In fact, side note, I am interviewing another pelvic floor PT just on Instagram, not a, not a podcast, about pediatric pelvic floor. And apparently I'm learning, and I'll connect you because she would be an amazing guest for you too, but I am learning that how you potty train your kid has a lifelong impact on their pelvic floor. Yeah, there's so much to know. And it's just like, God, why didn't, why is this not talked about? We need more education. Yeah. 
Totally. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I'm very excited about this episode. And everyone go follow Nikki, The Bell Method. Oh, thank you. Sorry for my little man making noises. I was a bit, you know, up and down, up and down, but he's good now. He just needed a little more, a little more cuddling. Yeah, he's a mama's boy. It makes the episode exciting. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully. (laughs) That is it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. To be honest, I still don't know what Tuesday's episode topic is going to be. Maybe I'll put out a poll on Instagram and see what people want to hear about. I kind of like to just fly by the seat of my pants with this podcast. I don't like planning things out too much. Um, Yeah, it makes it more exciting that way. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. That is how I stay in the top charts for the kids and family category on Apple Podcasts. And I don't even think you can rate podcasts on Spotify, but if you can, then please do that as well. If you have a mama friend or maybe a mama-to-be friend, be a pal and just send them this podcast. That's what good friends are for. As always, you can find me on TikTok and on Instagram at the.mom.room. My website is renearena.com. I often blog a lot about topics that I talk about on the podcast, and I also share a lot of other mom stories on my blog, so definitely check those out. I do have a mom room community, which is a private community that you can sign up to through Patreon at www.patreon.com slash the mom room. We have a private Instagram account, a private Facebook account. We have Zoom chats bi-weekly. And I'm also going to be doing private podcast episodes with members of the community. If you join the mom room community and you come into our private Instagram account, you will notice that right now the profile is just full of everybody's childhood crushes. So we have like Taylor Hansen, uh, we have Zac Efron, Nick Carter, like, oh, well, we also have like Elijah Wood, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, We decided to chat one evening about everyone's childhood crushes. And then I couldn't resist putting a photo of every person that was mentioned on the profile. But now I realize that people who join come into this Instagram account and they're like, what the hell is this? So that's just a warning that um, that our Instagram account looks a, a little different than other mom accounts, perhaps. Anywho, thank you guys so much for listening. I will talk to you all soon and I hope that your children sleep tonight.